Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dominic Booth, your host for today's episode. I'm happy to be joined by Samuel Luckhurst and Rich Fay. Uh, Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I was I was ill at the weekend for my first home match that I'd missed in four and a half years. So I think it was the the, the gods telling me something that I had the gall to to miss a game at Old Trafford, and and I was ill as a consequence of it. But I'm I'm fighting. I, I've declared myself fit again now. I'm I'm, I'm no Cavani. Yeah, I've yeah, I was waiting for Samuel's PR people to issue a statement on why he wasn't there, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not t- forthcoming. Get in touch with this camp. Uh, how are you, Rich? You were at the game on, on Saturday. I, I was going to ask if you enjoyed it. That's probably not the right question. In a perverse way, I did, actually. Because, it was quite yeah, entertaining, I, actually. Yeah, I mean, to me, Samuel was there. Was at the start of the other season when Crystal Palace won in the last minute? And I was just laughing to myself because it was so predictable. And this one as well. It just, yeah, I find it like perversely fascinating the way that United, you know, eventually collapsed. But yeah, it was absolutely dire, really, really good atmosphere during the game and for much of it. But by the end, it was a real uh, disappointing result for United. And, you know, it's one of those difficult ones after, after a result like this where you can either be a pessimist or, you know, you can try to be a bit positive because, you know, United might have lost three of the last four, but only one in the league. They're still only a point off the top. So uh, maybe it depends what, what sort of way you view it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, it probably, yeah, like you say, depends on on your your viewpoint, really. Uh, Samuel, it was very nearly a point, but a point obviously wouldn't have been good enough anyway with a with a Fernandez miss penalty. But it felt like to me, and I, I've been an outspoken um, sort of supporter or, or or defender at least of Solskjaer amid some of the criticism. Of late, but it, it felt to me as if he got a lot wrong in this one. The midfield combination didn't look right. He was hamstrung with the substitutions, but he still, I still felt like he left it too late with Cavani coming on. Um, and he is getting a lot of scrutiny now, isn't he? Which is inevitable after three defeats in four games, even though one of those defeats is was in the league, I should say. But as soon as I saw or, or I was told that of the United side at the weekend. I just had no confidence in them winning the game. I, I, I couldn't understand why. I, I did I did put in my preview for it that there was a chance he'd make an unchanged team. And if Ash wasn't on holiday last week, producer Ash to uh, our listeners, of <laughs> course, and he'd asked me for a predicted 11, I probably would have gone with the team he went for at West Ham. But I, that, that was just because you have to think like Solskjaer sometimes. And th- that was just not the way to go about it. And the perverse thing about it is that had Mark Noble actually put the ball beyond David De Gea's reach and United not won that game, then he probably wouldn't have named an unchanged side uh, against Aston Villa. And there was no reason why, just because Noble didn't execute his penalty as well as he normally uh, does, that Solskjaer should have kept the same side. It was just very, very strange thinking, but it's something that we've come to, to expect with Solskjaer. And just watching the highlights, watching the rerun this morning, even I don't particularly rate him as a pundit, but Leon Osman on co-commentary was shock quite good. And and he was identifying issues with United's tactical setup while he was doing the co-commentary that Aston Villa were exploiting. So when you're into those realms, there there is a real fundamental issue there. And the fundamental problem United have, of course, is that midfield balance. Uh, it's not right. It, it is risk-aversive to an extent, but also they, they do get caught out quite a lot. I was 
taken aback by how often Fred would see possession at West Ham. And obviously at the London Stadium, you've got a pretty you've got quite a lofty vantage point so you get a tactical view of how things are playing out and fred is not a holding midfielder who is in a position to mop up his own mess it's i think it's forgivable if a player plays an errant pass but then they're in a position to you know get the ball back or certainly uh, halt the momentum of a of a counter attack but fred always seems to be off the pace and mctominy uh, is is guilty of that as well at times i think rich called it when, when I was sat next to him during the Leeds game and the, the first game of the season, there were times where Leeds probably should have made more of, of, of the, the openings they had. And and your point about the substitute, uh, when I saw who Cavani had come on for, I thought, well, what did he do? Did he go 4-2-3-1 with Ronaldo on the wing or did he go 4-4-2 with no natural wingers to service to figureheads up front? However way you looked at it, it was not the strategic move. And of course, he had Sancho, Lingard, Van der Beek. So he had a hell of a lot of options there. And that's without mentioning Marshall, who's, who's becoming a bit of an irrelevance at United these days. And of course, the, the timing of the substitute seemed seemed a bit too delayed, even though they were compromised by Shaw and, and Maguire coming off. But unfortunately, again, that's you can't just dismiss that as an aberration because Solskjaer's substitution strategy of late um not of late even for for quite a while now has has been pretty inexplicable yeah it was thrown out into the ether i think after the the villa game on saturday rich that solskjaer actually has a very good substitute record or or in in any case his substitutions have often yielded goals but i actually don't think those two are the same thing i think it maybe belies it it shows a tactical uh, insufficiency perhaps and that's what people are talking about with Solskjaer at the moment with that tactical element of his uh, his management it, do you still feel like he has some way to go to improve in that regard? Yeah exactly and I think like we said there it's the, the issue is that, that he is still so polarising and for me that the real issue is that three years nearly since he took over many of the same, same issues do remain the same. Okay, he's, he's changed the squad, he's rejuvenated the actual players and personnel he's got at his disposal. But in terms of the actual tactical sense and approach United have, they've not really been able to to ever develop into a side which really can match these bigger sides like for like. And I know all the talk in pre-season was of United switching to this 4-3-3, maybe because they didn't get a new midfielder. That's why they've had to sort of revert back to 4-2-3-1. But it's just glaring that Solskjaer still hasn't been able to adapt his style of play for me enough. And like we say, the McFred access is one which is very limited, but you do know to an extent what you're going to get. You also know what you're not going to get from it. But for me, I just feel that, you know, the question marks are still over Solskjaer and how he can actually take this United side to the next level. He's made them better. He's improved them. He's got them to a good team. He's not made them a great team, an amazing team yet. And ultimately, it'll be this next month which really does define him as a manager because so often, you know, when he's had his back against the wall, I don't think it's as bad at the moment as it has been in the past, but he always gets these results out of somewhere, doesn't he? And, you know, they've got this run of fixtures where they play, I think, six of last year's top seven in almost a simultaneous succession of games. They've got a couple of Champions League for them there. I think they've got Watford as well or some of that ilk as well on this run. So it's got to be a real, you know, defining moment for Solskjaer. And that's why I don't really want to go too hard one way or the other at the moment because Solskjaer has this knack of sometimes making you look very stupid very quickly or he can make you change your opinion quickly, which, you know, you've got to give him some credit for doing. And I feel like this next month will really 
tell us just where United are up to because, yeah, we've seen some glimpses of good football under him, but we've seen a lot of reoccurring issues that make you wonder. And once again, it does come to that ultimate argument that United now do have a world-class squad, but do they have the world-class manager? The verdict is very much still out. No, they don't. They, 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 you can say he's not a world-class manager. Definitely not. What would but make that needs, change, though? To, if United won win two, something, if, isn't he? If United won the Champions League in the Premier League this season, would he automatically become one or not? That's what. That's something that's, you know, winning trophies can often, you know, sort of elevate people or it can be held against them. And I agree with Sam that he's not of elite calibre. You only have to look at sort of where he's come from. But would winning a trophy change that narrative or not? If, if if he won the Premier League amid this competition, then there's a compelling case to say that. I think a lot of people, Ferguson included, of the opinion, you can't just do it once, you've got to do it again after that, which is is a lot trickier to do in this day and age. I think City are the only team that have retained the title since United in 2009. If, if he was just, I mean, I, I don't think many people think United will win the league and the Champions League this season, but it, it is a possibility. And if he were to do that, then... I suppose he does go into that top tier of coaches. You you can't really hold that against him. But that that's always the the there were just too many recurring doubts with Solskjaer that often resurface and you think there's there's a reason why United with this squad are not the favourites to win the Premier League title. We have been here before though, haven't we, in terms of pressure oh, yes. on Solskjaer uh, sailing close Every to the wind. Year. And Ever- Everton always seems to come back to uh, to define something one way or the other, uh, in my mind. Remember that 4-0 defeat they had on, um, I think it was Easter 2019, when United yeah. were absolutely terrible at Everton. And, yeah, and Solskjaer did hang a few of the players out to dry on a rare occasion that day. And then there was pressure on him, it must be about a year ago, when they went to Goodison Park and won 3-1 before an international break, Samuel. Um, yeah. And they, they travelled... Well, they're not doing travel Everton um, control Trafford, but it's Everton again this weekend. And it sort of feels like that international break is lo- looming a little large, not to say that United are preparing anything in terms of a change of management, but just for Solskjaer's security and for, for that sense around him, it's it's these two games that just need to, they need to bring six points. Well, three in the Champions League and three in the Premier League. They certainly do. With the Goodison game last year, uh, I think they'd lost, what was it, three of their first six or seven games in the Premier League and they just had the the Basak Sahir debacle as well, which didn't seem to be too serious at the time because they'd already beaten PSG in Leipzig, but it was more an accumulation of defeats. They'd had four defeats and they'd, they'd lost to Arsenal and Basak Sahir um, in, in successive matches, but then they played very, very well at Everton. Uh, I think they tied a bit in the second half, but certainly in the first half, even though they went 1-0 down, um, they, they were dominant and Everton at that time were highly regarded by some, but I think it was just one of those early season purple patches that, that clubs can go on. And and it was different last year because the league started in September. So it was more like going into an October internationals rather than November internationals. And I think United were 15th going into that that Everton game because they'd played a game fewer and of course they they'd lost three games as well. Whereas now they're actually in the, the upper echelons of the league and th- th- their situation in the league isn't too terrible at all whatsoever. I think all the major teams have, everyone's dropped points. I think all the major teams have at least lost a game. Um, 
Although Liv, Liv haven't lost a game yet, have they? Uh, no, Liv have drawn, drawn two. Every yeah. big team's dropped points twice, basically. Yeah, so it's it's pretty even Stevens at the current state of play and Solskjaer at this juncture can get away with saying, well, we're we're improving, we've got players to bed in, etc., etc." I think that that does wash to a certain extent. Sancho, I mean, Memphis Depay and Michael Owen had more successful starts wearing the number seven than, than Jaden Sancho has, but it's not a surprise because he's come from a team where there's absolutely no pressure, no scrutiny whatsoever, and he's gone to the most scrutinised sporting institution in the world and he's he's already been dropped that's that's just the the difference in levels in in joining Manchester United it's it's different with Rafael Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo because they've been world-class players for a very long time but when when it gets I suppose the November internationals is always the time where people look at it and think okay who's the first manager to um to, to, to be up for the chop it always always seems to happen there's very rarely a November that goes by without a Premier League manager being sacked. Uh, that that always seems to be the first port of call. Solskjaer survived it last last year, quite understandably. In retrospect, there were certainly stages in November and December where United, you'd have understood if they did change manager because Pochettino was available uh, and was was their initial first choice to replace Mourinho. And then Tuchel was available. There was no... There was no contact there, despite what a certain German journalist was trying to suggest. And then a month later, Chelsea blinked first and, and got to call in for Frank Lampard. And that's worked out very well for them. So I, I think it's just, if United lose a game, there's always going to be hashtag Ole out trending on Twitter. And there is a vo- very vocal section of the fan base that isn't just restricted to the online community who don't think he's up to it. But there's no immediate suggestion whatsoever that he's in any jeopardy whatsoever, and it would be ludicrous if he was, if his position was in jeopardy. I mean, they've they've invested another three years in Solskjaer. It obviously doesn't work out that way. If United, as say, are relegated to the Europa League next season and uh, they don't win anything this season, then of course his his position would would have to be untenable. But there's a hell of a long way to go yet, and. When Solskjaer's under the cosh, more often than not, he he does get results, and I I can't see a scenario where United lose to Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham, and and City between the October and November internationals. Certainly not. No, United do tend to pull it out of the bag occasionally in those big games, and that'll be very interesting to to see after the the next international break. Um, in the short term, Rich, what do you think can be done to solve this ongoing midfield problem? seems to be a lot of conflicting views, a lot of a lot of the same views about Fred and Scott McTominay, some of which I think are valid, some are not. Um, some views about Donny van der Baker, whether he could play a role there, whether Paul Pogba should go back into a, a central role after playing well on the left wing. Uh, where do you stand on it? There's obviously not a transfer that can be done to to solve the problem like many want, but, but what can Solskjaer do? 
Yeah, I think it's just like you said there on transfers anyway. I think that's such a dangerous narrative of modern football anyway, isn't it? That whenever there's a an issue in the squad, you say they need to buy someone else to fix it. I mean, you know, I already had a dream trans, transfer window and, you know, myself and Samuel spoke on one of those podcasts about how gluttonous fans were being saying that it wasn't perfect because they didn't have a defensive midfielder. You know, it was like Varane, Ronaldo and Sancho. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, Tom Heaton as well. If you want those extra sort of pub quiz points, he might be a pointless answer in a few years when he arrived at the club. But you can't just say United need another transfer because that's that's idiotic. I know that they need an improvement maybe in personnel eventually, but they've got enough there. There's no perfect teams really in football history. There's always weak points in squads. But, you know, either United could switch to this 4-3-3 like we said in pre-season, they trial a bit and just embracing their attacking talents and hope to outscore every team. I mean, it was Solskjaer last week saying that he'd rather win games 3-4-1 rather than just win them 1-0 anyway, which is quite rare for a manager to say. But United have so much attacking talent that surely they do just need to get the ball up front as often as possible. In terms of switching personnel, I think Solskjaer just needs to do it just for his own sake and to cut himself some slack because, you know, the thing is, the fact that he persists with Fred and McTominay, who do have this this good win rate, you know, under him, which is fair enough. But it just, like Samuel said, as soon as you see them on a the team sheet, you you fear the worst. And okay, Solskjaer proved us all wrong on the opening day when he selected them against Leeds, and it worked really well in, in their in their defence. Um, the issue is that they always seem to take a game each to be to want them to perform okay and want them to have a bit of an off day. And I thought against Villa, Fred was the better of the two, but, you know, there'll be people who say it was McTominay, people who say they both aren't good enough. And, you know, I just feel that United do need to make that switch on. I'd like to see Matic and Van der Beek play a game again. I think that they've always had sort of mitigation for why it's not quite worked. Um, I thought that Van der Beek was good when he played against young boys, but then had to be sacrificed because of the red card and the tactical changes. I thought against West Ham that, Van der Beek grew into the game quite well as, as well. So I'd like to see him given another chance and given a chance in a proper game. You know, you look at that Everton game or that Leicester game and I feel they, they are matches where you can afford to have him in one of the roles. Like we said, Matic has to be used sparingly. He can't be playing twice a week, really. So you've got to pick and choose when that is. And again, because of the nature of the schedule at the moment, it feels like they are sort of the cup rotation options if you want to put them in. But I just feel there needs to be a change in, in terms of break up Fred and McTominay for now, just for Solskjaer's own sake, and then probably do switch more games to the 4-3-3 and just embrace your own attacking talent because United have more than enough. And I know you can make mitigation and say, well, some teams are frightening on the break, but you're Manchester United. You've got a front three of Greenwood, who's arguably one of the best players in the Premier League right now. He's performing so well. He's got such a fearless approach to games. He's got confidence and he's you know, it doesn't always work out, but he's so eager to try things. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who's the greatest goal scorer ever in football. Pogba playing his better football on the left. You've now got Cavani off the bench as well, if you want to bring him in. You've got Jadon Sancho, who could be used sporadically, you know, to influence these games. So, yeah, I think United just need to embrace their own attacking talents, really. And rather than having their midfield bypassed because it's, you know, not good enough at retaining the ball, just get the ball forward as often as you can, really. Yes, it sounds like Rich is advocating a, a United version of Newcastle, Newcastle's entertainers under Kevin Keegan in the nineties. Yeah. That very much sounds <laughs> results like, are uh, secondary for me. Very on brand. It is incredibly on brand, Rich. Yeah. Um, in terms of the next game, Samuel, it's obviously Villarreal at home in the Champions League. Um, a game that carries all sorts of connotations after the Europa League defeat last season. Um, how many changes does Solskjaer make for this one? First of all, and. Uh, 
surely United will put in a better display than they put in in that Europa League final. Yeah, this is this is one everyone's really looking forward to, looking at the the history between the clubs and the Champions League. Nil, 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 <laughs> nil, nil, and and nil, nil. Uh, and and unfortunately for us, the Real that United came up against in the Europa League final was not too dissimilar to the one that Ferguson's United played against, however many years, sixteen years, uh, thirteen years ago earlier. Um, just stubborn, compact, well drilled, very difficult to break down. So there has, if if Shaw and Maguire are both out, uh, then that's immediately that's that's three changes to the back four because Wan-Bissaka's injured. Uh, I, I was told Shaw was actually was a bit peculiar looking at the footage, but apparently he was unwell on Saturday rather than than injured. Um, Maybe may he's still too unwell to play on on the Wednesday, but time will tell on that one, and I'm sure. Well, I say I'm sure Solskjaer will give us an update on whether they're available or not. But as, as I've said before, he, he can be like Dr. Nick from The Simpsons with his diagnosis on players' return dates and when they're coming back. So uh, worst case scenario is that they have to change, what, 60% of their of their defence. Um, De Gea will obviously start. Uh, Dallo will obviously start. Varane has to start looking at the way Alex Tellis played last week and okay, he'd just come back and was probably rushed back from injury, but it still remains the case that he he peaked on his debut in Paris and there haven't been many occasions since where he's actually played well for United and you half wonder whether there's a case to be made that Lindelof goes to right back and by his partnering Varane so Dallo can play on the left just, just so that Tellez doesn't play. Um, that that might be one of the crueler ways of going about it, but those those changes have to come in. There has to be a change in the midfield. Um, I, I would think that it is an occasion that possibly suits Matic because of his experience, because the, the pace of the game is probably not going to be as intense as it as it was at the weekend where Villa, Villa took the game to United on a number of occasions. It I, I can understand to an extent why Solskjaer felt the need to to protect the back four, even though Villa went with a back three because they they did probe United. They they weren't just going there to settle for a point, not not at all whatsoever. But I think Matic and and, and possibly Van der Beek, if if Solskjaer is of that mindset, that there is infinite um, wisdom in that decision making process. But I suppose it would still be a bit extreme for. A Champions League game that has become must-win because they they lost the the first one to Young Boys, so they, they need creativity in that in that area there. And if that means Pogba has to drop back there, then you play him with Matic because Matic is the one who would keep vigil. He's the one that Pogba has has played with a number of times in a in a two as well. So I, I don't see any reason why there can't be a complete change in the midfield too. Ronaldo obviously has to start. Greenwood has to start. It was interesting seeing Gary Neville on Twitter today suggesting that Cavani and Ronaldo would make his first eleven at United, which I don't think too many people would agree with because how the hell do you surface those two when you've when you've got issues on the wing at the moment? But it's certainly a fixture that is ripe for change after the the error in Solskjaer's judgment at the weekend in not making any changes in, in consecutive Premier League games. Absolutely, change rich, but but not not weakness. United can't afford to weaken their side. They can't afford to leave anybody out or rest anybody. Ronaldo has to play this game. Has to play the Everton game. 
and people like Fernandez and Pogba, they have, to, they have to play as well, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another point that Gary Neville actually made in that Twitter Q&A, that you've got to build that confidence first before you go chopping and changing. And, you know, United, we say every week they've got this incredible squad depth, but actually using it is, is a completely different task, really, isn't it? And I think that whether you like it or not, United basically do have a almost a best eleven now that chooses itself other than those two central midfield roles, really. And I feel that, you know, there is that fine-tuning. I feel that, you know, we've seen it in the past where we've said Solskjaer needs to make changes and then he'll make two or three too many and the performance isn't there to match it either. So it is about balance. It is just about fine-tuning it. And we've seen before, and, okay, United fans might not care about it too much, but when Man City were dominating in the Pep last two seasons or whatever, they'd almost have their rest in a match they just control it so much and then they go into second gear so that the, some players can just really stroll by and, you know, you play the last 20, 30 minutes really in a low gear and don't have to care about it too much. So I think United really do just need to, you know, be careful. Like we say, three or four changes. Don't go too gunko because that's what we, we all say. That's what we want to see at times. You know, we want to see his squad depth showing off. But then you get the performances like you did against West Ham in the Carabao Cup where no one's got sort of partnerships. No one's got this cohesion. Ever. There's just no link-up play at all, really, to speak of. It's 11 individuals rather than a team taken to the pitch. So, yeah, I agree that you've got to keep that, that core sort of group of players on the pitch for, for this game against Villarreal. You know, it's got extra importance because of that opening match. Villarreal themselves drew of Atalanta in their opening game. They'll be out without Coquelin, who's suspended. So, you know, he's one of a key player, really, to the way that they operate as well. And Villarreal will come and sit on the counter-attack and try to pick United off. That's the, the way they'll approach the game. So, United just need to make sure they're in control. And I think three or four changes is, is the most you can really, really risk. Yeah, I think, you, I think you're right. I think it'll be a very strong side. Before we finish that, I'm going to ask you both, not for a prediction on this game, but a prediction on... The two results that United will get in their next two games, Villarreal and Everton, both at home. We've said United and Solskjaer probably need two wins. Samuel, two wins? Uh, a draw and a win. Unfortunately, I, I, I just looking at Villarreal's side, and I know Rich just said there about the, the absence of Coquelin. I think he was the dubious man of the match in, in the final, but I still think they're, they've, they've got the makings just, just to frustrate United again. And I hope I'm proven wrong. I, I really don't want a VRL draw. I, I, for us as well, I think as journalists, as selfish as this sounds, draws are dreadful to, to cover. You, sometimes you can't make head or tail of them. There's nothing to write about. It's, it's just the same old, um, at least you can get your teeth stuck into a defeat or with a victory, there's obviously cause for, um, for delight with with the readership, but I, I think they'll beat Everton. Everton just looked very weak this season. Uh, no squad depth of, of real yeah. any and real quality. Last there. Time, United absolutely tore them apart, didn't they? With that pivot of yeah. Van der Beek and, and Matic, was it in the Matic? Sort of yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think I've, I'd agree with Samuel that Everton is the one United will win this week, and then I'm going to be a bit more positive. I think it'll be a disgusting, ugly win against Villarreal, but a win just about somehow. I mean. Because you know Solskjaer and he loves these sort of quirks and stuff. It's probably will be a penalty. Bruno Fernandes will take it and he'll score, and people will be wondering what the fuss was all about in the first place. So yeah, I think I it's very wins. bold of you to assume that Fernandes will take yeah. the next penalty. I, I think this is a Ronaldo who, who might step up next. I, time. Yeah, I mean it's tedious. I don't want to go down it, but I almost think that you, in a way, maybe you have to just so we can prove it right. 
Although you could amplify the problem, I get that as well. But uh, maybe United we'll should see. hand over their penalty uh, deciding process to Emmy Martinez. He seems yeah. to have some. Or maybe they should just bring a player on in the 90th minute to take it his first touch. <laughs> <laughs> Fern- Fernandez Fernandez took it in Paris last year, didn't he? After missing at Newcastle. Yeah, and he earlier. missed the first one. He did, the retake, yeah. didn't he? Navas yeah. off his line, I think. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I it, who knows. Who cares? I guess that maybe that was the point. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to finish with penalty chat at all, but there we go. That's the way it's ended up. So I apologise to the listeners for, uh, for some boring penalty chat at the end there, but hopefully the last half an hour has been been almost worth it. Um, thank you very much, uh, Rich, and thank you very much, Samuel. Thank you very much for having thank us. Thank you, Dom. No worries. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe, and we'll be back later in the week. Cheers.